everyone, this is Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. I am excited to welcome you to this episode of the Little Brown School and Library Podcast because it takes me back to my earliest days at Little Brown. I arrived here in the year of the Holy Gontipus 2005, not quite understanding exactly what it was they wanted me to work on because I just didn't know. But there was a book and it was called Flight of the Dodo. And I kind of fell in love. And then I had a chance to speak with an editor. I don't even remember what her title was at the time, but her name was Alvina Ling. And today in the year of the Holy Gontipus 2021, she is the editor in chief and a vice president. That is pretty good for nearly 16 years. And the author and illustrator of The Flight of the Dodo, a book I still have and for which I would pay retail always, was Peter Brown. And he was, I don't wanna say a charming young man, but he was a person of promise artistically, if not socially. <laughs> I know. I, I like think it. I was charming, a little charming. I had my moments. You charming. had your moments, but it's been a long and tremendously fun journey to work with both Alvina and Peter as both of them have grown in their careers. And I think I have learned a lot working with both of them in my approach to marketing books to teachers and librarians. So we thought uh, with the advent of Peter's new book, Fred Gets Dressed, that we would take this chance to sit down on a snowy Brooklyn morning. I'm not sure if it's snowing in Philadelphia this morning, it probably it is. is. But through the magic of the digital universe, we're together in this one meeting space to talk about Peter's career and Alvina's career and my career together, the three of us, from Flight of the Dodo, which involved target pooping and, and differently abled birds, to Fred Gets Dressed, which is uh, about a little boy who just wants to put some pants on it or maybe a nice skirt. Depends mm -hmm. on the day. Welcome, Alvina and Peter. Thank you. Thanks, Victoria. So I think the two of you had met a little bit before I came to Little Brown Books for Young Readers. What was that initial meeting like, Alvina? How did you how did you see this guy could have some legs? Well, this will reveal a lot, I guess, about how we first met. But I believe it was 2002 at a illustrator event. And uh, a group of us from Little Brown had, had gone together and this was basically the year we had moved to New York from Boston. So we were doing a lot of, you know, exploring and attending events and trying to meet people. And um, Peter and I have shared this story before. So I think it's yeah. fair to share this. Yeah, um, right. We had a young designer on our team who was single at the time. And we decided to, uh, in addition to try to find children's book illustrators, to spend time looking for, for love. And so... <laughs> This young designer spotted Peter up on the balcony and said, what about that guy? And we all looked up and we're like, yeah, yeah, you know, he, he looks kind of young, but, you know. And uh, Peter, I think he can tell his side of the story, felt <laughs> probably 10 pairs of eyes looking at him from the balcony and looked down. And this young designer kind of beckoned him down and there came him. <laughs> and that's how we met Peter. I remember he said, hey, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we all said, oh, you know, we were just started, we started talking and, and we said, what do you do? And Peter said, I'm a children's book illustrator. And we were 
amazed because the whole night we had not met one illustrator interested in children's books. It was, you know, an adult, you know, most of them were interested in adult editorial illustration. And so I gave Peter my business card, wrote the young designer's name and email on the back of my card, and then that's how we met. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I think she covered it pretty well. You know, when a group of uh, when a group of young women and you, when I'm a single guy in, in New York and uh, a group of women wave at me from you know across the room, I'm, I'm no idiot. I was going to go say hello, so I did, and it turned out to be a really smart move. You know. For a couple of reasons, but um, uh, yeah, that was a funny that was a funny way to meet. And that event, you're right, Alvina, it was the I think it was the American Illustration Annual Art Show and Party, and so it was a group full of like editorial illustrators, and they were, you know, finding me was like finding a needle in a haystack. It was, and it was well, and then we found out later. So um, we we got to know Peter through after this time because Peter and the young designer did proceed to date. Um, and then Peter and I started talking about book ideas. And I remember Peter telling me about the idea for Flight of the Dodo. Yeah. And I might have uh, even told I, you that night. I might have even told you that night because I know I was working on that sketch dummy already. And yeah. But anyway. Cool. But I remember when um, you, I think you had met the designer at for coffee or a drink to show your, show, show her your portfolio. And she brought your, your portfolio back to the office the next day and we were just completely wowed by your art and I remember bringing the portfolio to our editorial meeting and sharing it and everyone just was really loving your art style so yes and then when we, we were, started working together on Fun of the Dodo which I think at the time was called Tuba yes. the Unflying Bird Association <laughs> yes right that's right that was the first title right yeah wow that's going back that's funny. Right. And we're like, I don't know if unflying is the right word. Yeah. <laughs> title change approved. <laughs> yes. Title change. You know, it's hard in the beginning to, you know, you, you, we grow up reading kids' books where people take a lot of liberties and a lot of creative freedom to come up with funny words and use words that aren't real words and wacky character names. And so I think in that early, in that first sketch dummy of mine, it was hard to judge exactly how much freedom I had to experiment with stuff like that. So anyway, that's what an editor is, an editor is for, right? We came up with a better title. We worked together for about a year, I think, before I brought it to our acquisitions meeting. Yeah. So for those of you who do not know, I mean, it happens differently at different houses, but at LBYR, and we are not unique in this, um, we gather periodically. When I first started, it was not weekly, but now it's every single week. And sometimes twice, <laughs> a group of us gather together to look at projects. And we look at picture book texts. We look at dummies. We look at um, whether to pair an author with a illust particular illustrator. We look at novels. And then, you know, we look at the larger landscape of what's going on in children's publishing to see if, you know, what the entire conversation is in these books to see not only is this particular book a good idea, but where can we fit it into the landscape? Of children's publishing, what would we compare this book to? What would we have as a read-alike, etc.? And that, and that's what we do at what is called either the pub publication committee or the acquisitions meeting. I think we've had a couple different names for it, and I can never remember. It's just the Wednesday at the crack of dawn meeting. <laughs> I think of the crack of dawn as anything before 10 a.m. So it doesn't matter what time that is. And you ne you can't exactly judge what's going to happen with the book at that meeting. It's sort of it's sort of a like yes. that those ten pairs of eyes 
uh-huh. looking up at Peter at sort of what is the promise and the possibilities. What were the possibilities that you saw in Peter's work, Alvina? Well, first of all, the art, the art style I thought was really distinctive um, and beautiful. And the book idea I thought was just very clever and funny. Um, you know, you mentioned not knowing what my title was back then. I believe I was an assistant editor still. Mm-hmm. I think by the time the book came out, I was an associate editor. So I, I didn't have, I, I had a few acquisitions under my belt, but not a full list. And um, so I will say this acquisitions meeting, it was on, I remember it was on August 14th. I believe it was right. 2003 because it was the day of the blackout. And I was in the acquisitions meeting presenting <laughs> Peter's title when the lights went out for the first time. <laughs> um, and it was startling. And I think very startling for especially the New Yorkers who had been in New York City during 9-11, which I had not. I was in Boston because, of course, the first thought is something serious has happened. So uh, it was a distracted meeting. Everyone loved Peter's art, but we the general feeling was that the book itself was not yet at the, the place it needed to be for us to sign it up actually. So that combined with the whole distraction of the blackout, but it resulted in the publisher at the time suggesting us do a development deal with Peter because everyone did recognize Peter's talent and the promise of this book and, you know, wanting to get Peter on the list. And I remember Andrea Spooner, who was our editorial director at the time, especially just saying like, we can't lose this guy. He's super talented. <laughs> you know, let's, let's try to, to make it work. So we actually offered Peter a development deal, which meant we paid Peter a certain amount of money to continue working with us exclusively. And then it did result in us signing up the book and, and then working together on 11 books now. I think it's 11. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's 11. Peter, what was that moment of just like, okay, you have a contract? Because, you know, a lot of things can happen in between the 12 laser beam, the 10 laser beam eyeballs on you and getting that contract. (laughs) Well, it was it was it was a funny situation because I I didn't even know a development deal was a thing. Right. So. On the one hand, Me neither. <laughs> on the one hand, I was excited to have any forward movement, you know, um, but it also wasn't exactly what I was hoping for, you know. Like, I wanted a book deal. I wanted a, like a old fashioned, you know, sign on the dotted line, and we're going to publish this book deal. And it wasn't that. So I had sort of a mixed feeling, but of course, overall, I was happy because this was like a, it seemed like a good first step, and and I was actually getting paid, and that that was cool, and I had. I mean, I didn't know Alvina very well at the time, but in looking back, I realized how lucky I was that she was the person I had run into and she was the one who was helping me for that year polish off this book dummy and get it to a place where it was um, publishable. You know, it could have been, I mean, there's a lot of great editors out there, I guess, but I feel like Alvina and I had a really good, we were just like a good match and it just kind of felt like it was meant to be, you know? Um, so I was really excited about all that stuff and, um, yeah. And then eventually we got it. We just kept, I kept noodling with it and editing it and Alvina kept looking at it and telling me her thoughts. And eventually we signed it up for a real book deal. (laughs) What was your thought when you got the finished book the first time? Oh man, that was great. I mean, you know, everybody, it's what you'd expect, right? You just, you work so hard on these things. You're never really sure it's going to happen. You know, it's like... You never really know if you're going to get the book deal. And then even when you get the book deal, you know, 
it still feels like I'm not going to believe this is real until I have the book in my hand. And then you finally have the book in your hand and you're like, oh my God, it's happening. It's so exciting. Um, yeah. And I was like, and the first time I went into a bookstore and I saw my book like actually there being sold and seeing people flipping through it, I just was, it was unbelievable. So that's really a special moment, you know, for any author and illustrator's career, that first sighting of your book in a store is pretty awesome. So that was great too. I mean, that really, that book has a special place in my heart because really, <laughs> in addition to the inherent humor of target pooping, which let's face it, every little toddler that that's a lot of what they're going through is target pooping when they have that. For problem. anyone who, for anyone who hasn't read the book, uh, a, a bunch of flightless birds, especially led by a penguin, builds a hot air balloon and then they go up into the sky to have this adventure and do all the things that they always wanted to do but couldn't because they are flightless. And one of the things was target pooping. Yes. So, yes. Well, <laughs> anyway, partly because they had had the magical experience of being uh, pooped upon, which everyone tells me is a sign of good luck. I have never found it to be so. I have yeah. never found it to be so. Um, <laughs> but what I did appreciate about it was that it was, it just, it was a book also about ingenuity and characters. They're problem solving, but they're also not lamenting their lack of ability of a certain ability. They're embracing mm -hmm. the ability that they do have. So it's, it's celebratory. And I think that is something that appears a lot in your work, is that there is a celebratory quality in your books. I think about Chowder, and I think the Bear Book, which I'm so sorry. Children, Children make terrible make pets. Children terrible make pets. terrible pets. And all of a sudden, seeing the bear, I'm just like, Lucy and the bear, and I'm just like, all of a sudden, and I'm like, I have a copy of this book in my house. What's wrong with me? Um, That's okay. But there is that celebratory quality to it the curious garden again another book thinking about not lamenting skills you don't have or yeah. things you don't have but looking at what you can do and looking at your ingenuity and creativity to to make something happen is that something you've been noodling about all this time i never set out to make those kinds of books but i can see why i make those kinds of books because i'm kind of a pessimist to be honest with you i'm like a little bit cynical and yet I make books for children. And so I have to be constantly aware of my own tendencies, you know, and I don't want to make, I don't know if I would even be able to publish a cynical book, you know, but I know that sort of deep down in there is a part of me that wants to like face hard truths and like, you know, tell kids the world life is hard, you know, and like, oh, that's probably my in first instinct is to go there. Uh, <laughs> But, like, that's not really the kind of books I want to make for kids when I think about it, you know? And so I think what ends up happening is I, I swing violently back in the other direction. You know, I end, end up going, making books that are hopeful and celebratory and, you know, show the value of kindness and uh, perseverance and that kind of thing. Um, because, because, God forbid, I, I, I publish a book that, you know lets my inner demons out, uh, unleashes them upon the world. I don't want to do that. Maybe someday I'll write a book for, I don't know, maybe teens. Maybe teens could handle um, the dark side of Peter Brown. <laughs> but I feel like for young kids, I don't want I don't want to go there, you know. And so it's funny to me that my reaction, the, the books that I make are a sort of a reaction to some of my cynical tendencies. Elvin, as an editor, have you been, have you seen a through line in his work? And how do you, how have you approached editing, not Yes, his illustrations, but also his texts. Well, I think what's been great working with Peter is that, you know, Peter does like to change up his art style. <laughs> and we will get to that. <laughs> right. Um, 
so it's, it's, I, I think the through line is just, you know, Peter's brain, <laughs> hmm. but the books are, you know, very different, but you can tell that they're from the same creator. Um, so I, I just think they're, they're all really distinct. They all have humor. Some, some of the books, a little more gentle humor than kind of, you know, slapstick humor. Um, but just, they're just awesome. <laughs> Well, you know, we, I think we can look at from Flight of the Dodo uh, all the way up to uh, Mr. Tiger Goes Wild. You can see the evolution of the art style. Flight of the Dodo looks very different than Mr. Tiger Goes Wild. But if you look, say, the difference between Chowder and Children Make Terrible Pets, I think somewhere in there you see a change that's, that's starting to happen. But I think the biggest change uh, came when Peter showed up Maybe was it in person or on the emails? Did he lay that one? How did how did he lay it on you, Alvina, that he would like to become a novelist? I was trying to remember the moment, and I don't remember the exact moment. I don't know, Peter, if you remember. I don't know. I feel like it was the kind of thing that would come up in conversations periodically mm-hmm. for years before I really got serious about it. You know, one thing I do remember, though, was you asking me once, um, about Grace Lynn making that transition mm-hmm. and knowing that I had worked with Grace, you know, when she started writing novels. So that might've been the first, I don't know when that was, but I think that might've been the first indication that you were interested in, in transitioning to writing middle grade. And so yeah. I do remember talking, talking to you about that process and, you know, encouraging you to do it. I think I might've even said like, you could talk to Grace. I don't know if you ever did, but yes. I think I might've written her an email one time and asked for a few pointers or something, but I never sat down and I never had like a real conversation with her about it. Well, you know, I get asked this a lot when I speak to, especially to like aspiring authors and illustrators, you know, they kind of want to know about the process of getting that first middle grade novel up and running. And I always tell them, you know, it really was folk. It was really about the idea. The idea for the wild robot to me was just so compelling that I couldn't, I couldn't let it go. It wasn't like I just wanted to write middle grade novels. I wanted to write that middle grade novel. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of propelled the whole thing. And I couldn't shake the idea, you know, every time I'd finish a picture book and I'd I'd start thinking about what's next, I'd have this little, you know, I'd remember this idea I had about a, a robot out in the wilderness learning to survive. And, you know, and it wasn't the right time and it wasn't the right time and it wasn't, and eventually I think, Alvina, I think you might have just said to me, you know, maybe you should just spend some time working on this and, like, see what happens instead of kind of contemplating the pros and cons of writing a middle grade novel. Maybe you should just go for it and we'll just see what happens. And so then I finally got serious about it. And, you know, it took forever to make the book. But I think I knew pretty early on that, well, I knew I wanted to make the book. It was a question of, my question was, am I, do I have the writing skills to pull it off? Well, and I remember you took a writing class when you were in that process. And so that probably helped kind of, you know, work on the the novel as well. That's right. At NYU, I took an NYU writing, creative writing class at night. I won't say I learned a ton from the actual experience, but I think I learned about myself during that class and that I had, at the very least, I had the will and the drive to sort of see this thing through. And I thought I might actually be able, with some great editorial help from Alvina, (laughs) I might be able to pull this thing off. Well, what was the core of the idea of Wild Robot that just didn't let you... You could have done it as a picture book, yeah, but you didn't want to. What was the core of that idea that just would not let you go? I remember I had the idea for the Wild Robot while I was working on The Curious Garden. Because The Curious Garden is about a, about a, 
a gray, dreary city and, you know, nature starts taking hold thanks to this little boy, Liam, who starts become he becomes a gardener. And so you see all this like wildlife and, and, you know, wildflowers and plants and things growing in unexpected places. And a lot of my, my ideas are kind of fish out of water stories. I sort of take something familiar and flip it on its head. And, and so when I was working on the curious garden, I thought, well, what's the opposite of this instead of something natural, existing in an unexpected place what is something unnatural existing in an unexpected place you know and I, I i couldn't think of anything more unnatural than a robot and then i thought well what would happen if you put a robot out in an, in nature you know out in the wilderness and just it just clicked like it kind of hit me right away and i drew a little sketch of a robot climbing a tree and i just that was it you know that from that moment on i couldn't let go of this idea and I've already forgotten what your question was. I'm sorry. But no, but <laughs> your answering is like, what was that compelling thing that just was like, you yeah, could okay. not let it go. But why did you feel that it needed to be a novel, not a picture book? Well, at first I was kind of open to anything. In the very beginning, I didn't know exactly where it was going to go. But as soon as I started doing a little bit of research, learning a little bit about real robots and about artificial intelligence and seeing the weird things that AI and robotics robots have in common with nature, you know, the sort of the the fact that animal instincts are a lot like a computer program, you know, and that animals have really predictable behaviors throughout the year and, you know, a robot could be programmed to have really predictable behaviors. I started thinking, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to imagine how wild animals and a robot would interact with each other. And I just started going down this path where I realized there's so much just juicy material, just so much interesting ideas to explore that I didn't want to have to cram it into, you know, a 400 word picture book text. I wanted to like, let the story breathe, see where it went. And so at that point I was like, maybe this needs to be a longer story. Maybe this needs to be middle grade. You know, I was nervous cause I'd never done it before and I didn't know if I had the ability, but I just thought this story needs breathing room. And so that's why I decided ultimately to choose to, think of it as a middle grade novel and go down that road. Alvina, you, we mentioned Grace Lynn, uh, who's one of two or three people who have made the transition or who work in both formats. I can think of a couple others off the top of my head who do it and do it well, but you've worked with her and with Peter as an editor. Is the revision process dis different? Is the editorial process different? I mean, Peter has to use different parts of his brain for visual storytelling plus picture book writing, and then adding on to it novel writing, does your editorial brain have to shift in working with these different, for lack of storytelling formats? We'll use that phrase. I guess my editorial brain does shift, not just, you know, working with Peter or Grace on different categories, but in general, mm -hmm. working on different categories, whether it be picture books, middle grade, and young adult, just different things that you have to take into account in terms of the audience. I think with Grace, I remember early on, um, she was so used to letting the illustrations tell the story that her prose did not include a lot of description, for example. Um, so, you know, I think, I don't know if that was so much the case, I think, when Peter made that transition, um, but those were some of the things that you have to take into account. I think with Wild Robot, it was a little bit more illustrated throughout. You know, we, we have, I would say there's probably spot art on almost every page. Whereas Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, you know, is more like nine full color pieces throughout. So it's, it's different, a different kind of storytelling. But yeah. thinking about preserving what is, what is the core of that creator's work. So thinking about, you know, is Peter making too much of a change from what he does? 
do you think about continuity of voice or interest? You've worked with him quite a long mm -hmm. time, also with Grace quite a long time, thinking about the trajectory of his career and your career I, with him. Yeah, I think, it, you know, you do think a little bit about, say, your, your author brand or platform in a way. And I, I do, as, as I said earlier, Peter's books, you know, the, the, the continuity in them are, they're just awesome, but they're also just, they're very thoughtful. Um, I knew that the wild robot would still be within what people would think of, I guess, when, when they think of Peter Brown, when they think about a Peter Brown book, um, the wild robot just seemed to really fit in. You know, we had Mr. Tiger goes wild. There's that, you know, when Peter, when you were saying fish out of water story, that, that did make me think like, Oh, okay. All of your characters are iconoclasts in a way, you know, they're individuals um, and they're trying to, to find their place in the world and where they fit in. And so mm -hmm. the wild robot definitely fit into that model. I don't know what we thought about what would be the success of the wild robot or what we would count as success for the wild robot. But I imagine is it has exceeded everything that we thought about would happen. And we are very excited that it touched a nerve in child readers everywhere. But that leads to my final question, because Alvina is going to have to hop on another call soon. You have been, Peter, you've been away from picture books for a while because Wild Robot and the hunger for Wild Robot, the <laughs> hunger is real. There's two books, but you, now you've come back to pick the picture book format with Fred Gets Dressed. I mean, did you think you were rusty? Did you have to sharpen anything? Did you have to do a brain change? What was the process like of deciding, no, I want to do another picture book? You know, I feel like the common thread for throughout my career is I make the books that I need to make at the time, mm -hmm. you know, and, and this was the book I needed to make right now. Um, it's hard to know why certain books pop into my mind at a certain time or why certain ideas or characters appear in my imagination when they do. But, you know, <clears throat> this is a story inspired by this experience I had when I was a little boy with my mom and and so I was, I, it has been a while since I made a picture book. I was a little, you know, I knew I was going to have to kind of sharpen my tools a little bit, but ultimately I knew I had to make the story. And so I was like, whatever, I'll deal with it. You know, even if I feel I'm a little out of practice, so what, I'll, I'll figure that out. I don't really worry about that. I mean, one of the benefits of having been doing this for so long is I basically feel like I have the skills necessary to make the books that I want to make. It's just a matter of what books do I want to make? And, um, so I wasn't too nervous about making this book. I just knew I really wanted to tell this story about a little boy who, you know, a lot like me uh, when I was a kid was just, you know, starts off like a little monster romping around the house and then slowly gets pulled into his parents' room and his parents' clothing and starts experimenting and is just very open-minded and, and, you know, curious about life and about his parents' And it just felt like uh, a good story to tell, especially, you know, right now. I don't know. I still I'm telling the story for my own reasons, but I'm aware that other people are going to get other things out of the story. And I think I just think it just felt like a good time for the story to exist. I don't know. There's a lot of mixed signals being sent to kids these days about what it means to be a good person and what it means to be accept and who to accept and why and all this stuff. It's. I don't know. And I, I just want to make a place. I'm hoping kids will read this book and just feel 
like they're allowed to be themselves, whatever that is, you know, and they're allowed to experiment and explore and be curious and ask questions. And there's no one right or wrong way to be. That's sort of the underlying message behind the story. And it just felt like an important message to get out there right now. Here, here. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) No, I'm just going to say, you're here. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, over this time, I mean, I think this, I think you two are probably uh, one of the most successful editor and creator relationships that we have uh, in the children's book industry. Do you feel a sense of, well, I think you're probably, you do probably feel a sense of satisfaction in what you've achieved together. I'm trying not to make this sound like old married couple because I don't think that's the right. <laughs> no, nobody's old here and, and nobody's married to each other here. <laughs> um, but there is sort of, you've been at this a while and you've been doing this together for a while. Do you have a source of renewed creative freshness? Maybe that's the way to say it. That What do you th- see in the next, I don't want to say 10 years, but because who knows what's going to happen. I plan on winning the Powerball next week and absconding to a remote location no one will ever find me in. But, you know, thinking about these different changes um, in the larger children's book industry, I don't think we would have a balcony moment with 10 pairs of laser beam eyes looking at an illustrator at an event. But where do you see your creative freshness renewing? I mean, I'll just say, I don't know if I, I don't feel like, we need to renew the creative freshness. I sort of feel like every project brings its own freshness, you know, and every project, each of my projects is a little, you know, it's different. Um, that's why I want to make them in the first place is because I like challenging myself. I like trying new things. And so with that comes, for lack of a better word, freshness. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm really I don't think there's a really one, good but... <laughs> word for it, but we'll choose freshness for now. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily... I feel like the work brings that that kind of excitement, you know, uh, each project, each concept brings its own kind of excitement with it. And so I don't necessarily feel like Alvina and I struggle to get excited about projects. You know, I, that's why we're publishing it is because we're excited about the project. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, mean, I mentioned that, you know, Peter is someone who likes to switch up his art style, for example. You know, I think switching categories and genres also you know, keeps it fresh. <laughs> yeah. But every, every book, every book is different and every book is exciting. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I really feel grateful that little Brown and, you know, everybody is sort of willing to, it feels like I have the freedom to kind of choose what project I want to make and make it for the most part. I'm sure, you know, if I have a bad idea, somebody will tell me, but by and large, I feel like I'm at this place where if I want to write a novel, I can write a novel. If I want to do a picture book, I can be do a picture book. I don't currently have any ideas for teen novels, but who knows? Maybe someday I'll want to try that, and I bet I bet everybody would at least give it a real solid consideration if the idea was good enough, you know. And so that's a pretty cool place to be for a creative person like me to be able to feel that sort of freedom. Uh, you know, you don't find that everywhere. And so I, I, I love it. And that's part of why I get up in the morning and I'm excited to get to my studio and get to work is because I have this luxury of picking and choosing my projects and just doing the things that I'm really passionate about. So it's a, it's a pretty good deal. <laughs> well, I think on that very positive note, we will look forward to Fred Gets Dressed stepping out onto the stage in public in whatever outfit Fred chooses to wear. And we, um, <laughs> Thank you, Alvina, and thank you, Peter, for being on the Little Brown School and Library podcast.
podcast. Um, you can follow Alvina and her musings at Planet Alvina on Twitter and Instagram and various places. And she has a podcast called Best Book Friends for No. What is it called now? Book, book friends, friends Forever. Book Friends Forever. See, I think of BFF as Best Friends Forever, and I knew there was a book in there, so I'm trying to make more bees. I'm trying to make bee happen. I'm trying. So, uh, Book Friends Forever, you can listen to that podcast wherever podcasts are listened to. It's a charming set of conversations. And then uh, you can follow Peter Brown on Twitter and Instagram at It's Peter Brown. And you should get all of his books from uh, wherever place that you can get them from your library or a bookstore, particularly Fred Gets Dressed, which is a, a charming book. And now we're going to let Alvina run off into her next digital appointment and, and Peter and I are going to start talking bad about her as soon as she gets <laughs> And you Great. gentle listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.